0: I like that lyric we just sang, because when you speak and when you move, when you do what only you can do, it changes us, it changes what we see and what we seek. I mean, that's what we want. We, we want to hear in our souls the Spirit speak. We, we want to sense the Spirit moving in our midst and in the midst of our lives. And, and the beautiful truth that that song that we just sang captures is that when the Spirit of God does what only the Spirit of God can do, it changes us. That's one of the main reasons why God gave to us His Spirit. Galatians 4, 6 says, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Jo- John 1:12 says that, that when you in faith believe in Jesus as God's son and receive him as Lord, that you become a child of God. And it's at this point that God sends his spirit to dwell in each of our hearts because God desires to do a transforming work in the lives of his children. See, our God is a good, good father. He he sees the devastating effects of sin in your life, and, and being a good, good father, he is not one to sit around and do nothing about it. So our God sends his son to pay the debt of our sin and take the punishment that you and I deserve because of our own personal sin. He sent his son. He wasn't going to sit by and do nothing. Then our God sends his spirit into our hearts to do the work of transforming us into the likeness of his son Jesus. I mean, his son, whose love was strong. His son, who was never a victim. Uh, He was full of grace and truth. And and transformation, it has to be an inside job. Because change like that cannot happen from the outside in. And, And that kind of change must happen from within. So God sends his spirit into our hearts for the purpose of transformation. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 says, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through sanctification by the spirit and belief in the truth. Sanctification by the spirit. Sanctification is a good word for us all to be familiar with. It's it's a good word to to know and understand. Sanctification is the act of making something holy. And it's a process. And the Holy Spirit is in your heart to bring about this sanctifying work to make you holy because God is holy. Listen, if we're going to spend eternity in heaven with a holy God, we cannot be sinful and selfish. God's got to do a transforming work in our lives. And it's a process. Jesus says in John 14, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it, is, it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. But four times in the book of John, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as the helper. God sent his Holy Spirit to live inside us as a helper, which means that, that you have a part to play in your own spiritual growth and transformation. Uh, 1 Peter 1.5 says that in response to all that God has done for us, all that God has given to us, that we should make every effort to grow in godliness. Do our part. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says that in response to God's mercy, we should offer ourselves as living sacrifices. Spiritual growth and transformation happens best when the Spirit of God, the Word of God, and the people of God are working together. The Spirit has to do His part, you have to do your part, and the family of God, the church, has to do their part. So last week, the children, they stayed in the worship service with us, and they heard this message about you've got to do your part. Um, I taught that the Spirit was sent as a helper and that you have to do your your part. Well, one of those deep-thinking little people came and they they asked a very meaningful question. And I love that they were listening. They asked, if we're supposed to do our part, what is our part? Like, isn't that the right question to ask? Should not we each have the desire to experience the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, to have the transforming power of God turn our lives into something much more and much better than we, than we are today? So, so let us ask an important question. What is our part? How do we do our part so that the helper can do his part? The answer to that question is going to be found in the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. We're going to look carefully at a passage of Scripture, and and you have to dig a little bit deeper than normal um, to find the answer. But the answer is simple, beautiful, and it gives God all the glory. So look with me in Ephesians, chapter 5. I'm going to start reading in verse 15. We're told, Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. See, the answer to the question, what is our part? It's found at the end of verse 18, with the command to be filled with the Spirit. We're, we're told to carefully consider how we walk, how, how we each live our lives, um, we're told uh, to, 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 to take a look at yourself. Watch yourself. Make sure you are not living in an unwise manner. Make, make the most of the time that you're given. Don't be foolish with your time. And, and, and seek to know what God's will is for your life. Then in verse 18, we're told, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Your part in the spiritual transformation that God wants for your life is to be filled with the Spirit. Being being filled with the Spirit's not automatic. You've got a part to play in being filled. And I'll show you how to do that in a moment, but before we do that, I mean, let's not overlook this intriguing contrast that the Apostle Paul gives us. He says, do not get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. It's fascinating that while under the influence and direction of the Holy Spirit, that the Apostle Paul is directed to contrast being filled with the Spirit with that of being drunk. Now, now, a mistake that some have made in interpreting this verse is to say that being filled with the Spirit is similar to being drunk. Paul's not comparing the two. He's contrasting the two experiences. I mean, look at the verse. He says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. He says, Getting drunk with wine is debauchery. That's a negative word used to describe excessive indulgence in sensual pleasure, intemperance, loss of control. I mean, does anyone really think that being filled with the Spirit, the, the, that, that being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's similar to overindulging in, in sensual pleasures? I mean, that's categorically wrong. It's The opposite of what's true. Yet some would try to persuade you that when a person is filled with the Holy Spirit, that they experience some sort of euphoric sensation, some sort of ecstasy. And, and as a result, they lose control of their bodies. They'll pass out like someone who's drunk might pass out. Galatians 5, and 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. See, the Spirit of God, it elevates a person's capacity for self-control. The Spirit heightens your awareness. It empowers you for good. The Apostle Paul is is contrasting being filled with the Spirit, not comparing. Being, Being filled with the Spirit is vastly different from being drunk and fundamentally superior. My, my first job out of high school was waiting tables at a restaurant called Bennegan's. Y'all remember Bennegan's? Um, I was a new Christian back then. It was, it was good money for an 18-year-old. Um, but none of my coworkers were Christians. Back then, as I was waiting those tables, I, I observed there's kind of two types of people who wait tables. There is the young adult who's trying to work their way through college. And then there's the slightly older adult who's trying to maintain the party lifestyle of high school and those college days. Everybody that I worked with drank and drank a lot of alcohol. I remember a guy, he comes into work one day and he's just, his face is busted up and bruised And I I asked, what happened? And he bragged, right? He bragged. He said, I was so drunk last night, I fell down the stairs a few times. Now, forgive me for laughing at another person's pain, but I thought that was funny. I mean, I thought, thought, goodness, if, if you can brag about being drunk... And hurting yourself, then I ought to be able to brag about being sober and doing normal things. And so it, I just started having fun with it. And I would, I would go up to my coworkers. I had one Christian friend there, and we would just joke with each other. We'd be like, oh, I would hold my head like I was had a headache, and I was hungover. And I'd be like, gosh, last night I was so sober." And I walked up the stairs and down the stairs and back up the stairs. It was so simple. Look, for every reason a person might drink to get drunk, the Spirit of God offers a better alternative. I mean, people will get drunk to escape their problems in life, but the Spirit of God will either help you solve the problem or will give you the strength to persevere through it. That's better. People drink to relax. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Man, rest is a lot better than relaxation. People drink to numb some sort of pain in their life. Look, why numb the pain when the Spirit can offer healing? People may drink in order to fit in with with people that they don't know and don't even like. Why do that when you can be secure and accepted by the only one who knows you for who you really are and still loves you the same? Someone told me once that that, 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 that they can be themselves when they drink. I have found that the truest way to be yourself is to be the person that God created you to be. He's the only one who knows your purpose and your potential. Every promise offered by alcohol is far exceeded by the promises of God. And unlike alcohol, God's promises are lasting because our God is faithful. Look, this scripture is not a scripture that's telling you you can never enjoy a drink in life. What the scripture is saying is that you've got a far better option in life. So Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So how does one take the better option? How is a person to be filled with the Spirit? What, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? How do you do that? The Greek word for be filled is it's it's, it, it's an interesting word. It literally means keep on being filled. Let, let me explain this to you. When you trust in Jesus and are saved, in that moment, God sends his spirit into your heart. The indwelling, of the, the, the indwelling of the spirit happens one time. I mean, remember what Jesus says in John 14. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it's neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. That Jesus said the Spirit will be with you forever, will dwell with you, and will be in you. Ephesians 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That means that at the point where you believed in Jesus and were saved, that God secured you in his forever family and he gives you the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of his promised salvation. He says you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. In the ancient world, when, when, a, uh, when a king or someone took possession of something valuable or if they wanted to make a document or a contract official, they would place their seal on it, an official stamp, to denote that this this item, this contract, was now officially under the authority of the person whose seal was stamped on it. To secure something, officially, you placed your seal on it. God has put his seal on you. In modern days, if I want to keep something secure, I seal it up, like in a Ziploc bag. Keep it secure and fresh. You belong to God and he has placed his seal on you to denote that you are his and to keep you secure. It says the Holy Spirit is given as a guarantee. Some translations translate the word guarantee as down payment or deposit. By giving you his Holy Spirit as a guarantee or deposit, it is though God is saying that his promise of salvation to you is so sure that if he doesn't follow through with salvation that he will give up the Holy Spirit. And since the Holy Spirit is God, it's like he is saying that if he does not complete the work of salvation, that God will give up being God. How's that for a guarantee? It's for this reason and really many other biblical reasons that I have become convinced that when a person is truly saved, that that person is forever saved. I don't believe that salvation can be lost. I do believe that there are many false professions of salvation where people do religious things and they, they go through the motions, but their heart's never in it. You can believe with your head, but not in your heart, and miss the, the, the work of God in your life. I think there's a whole lot of that in this world. And because of that, we assume somebody is saved, but over time... Their lives will show that they were never saved to begin with. There, there is one indwelling of the Spirit that occurs when you believe and are saved, but there are supposed to be many fillings. You say, what do you mean? Well, it's kind of like a spiritual gas tank. The Spirit indwells you as a guarantee of salvation, and that's a one-time-forever thing, but His empowering presence, well, that's designed by God to be an ongoing need. Jesus called the Holy Spirit the helper. If you're not going to put fuel in your spiritual tank, your spiritual life will run out of gas. And when that happens, you're just left to coast or just have a life that's stuck on the side of the road. I mean, do you ever feel like you're running on fumes? I mean, like that's that that, like do you ever feel like your spiritual tank is just empty? The reason why? Is because that's a real thing. And it's time for you to do what is needed to refill your tank. Be filled with the Spirit. Now this word, be filled, it's an interesting word in the Greek. Um, it's uh, First off, the word is in the imperative mood, meaning it's a command. God commands us to be filled with the Spirit. Uh, to not do what is needed to be filled with the Spirit is, is disobedience, and therefore... It's a sin. It's a command. The, the second interesting thing about this Greek word is that it's written in the plural form, meaning that this command is for the entire Christian community. Uh, being filled with the Spirit is not just for ministers or for those perceived super-Christians. God wants every single one of us to be filled with His Spirit. Third thing about this word that's so interesting is it's in the present tense, meaning that it's, um, it's meant to be a part of your life today. It's meant to be ongoing. There is, it, there, it, there is meant to be many fillings. So you might be filled today, but you're going to need a fresh filling tomorrow and the day after. And finally, this Greek word, and this is the, what's the most interesting thing to me, it's in the passive voice. The passive voice means that it's not something that you can do yourself. It's not something that you can do for yourself. It means that that it is something that God has to do for you and to you. God is the one who's active, you're the one who's passive. So, in this Greek word, we are commanded to keep doing something that we cannot do for ourselves. Isn't that interesting? And it's in this fantastic Greek word that we find the answer to the question, what is our part? What do we do so that the helper, the Holy Spirit can do the work of transforming in our lives? And it's such a beautiful answer. And it wonderfully demonstrates the heart of our good and giving heavenly father. If you can't fill yourself up, if only God can do the filling, then how do you obey the command? It's it's quite simple. And, And God gets all the glory. What you do is you position yourself in places where you may experience God and respond to his action. To, to keep on being filled, it's, it's similar to like achieving your ideal weight. All of you who've gotten past those young years where it's easy, you know, understand this. But last summer, I entered into this fitness contest at the gym that I was a part of, and uh, and the contest was, you know, lose lose fat, gain muscle, and because there was a cash prize, I got motivated, and I worked hard, and I got disciplined, um, and um, at the age of forty five years, I lost almost twenty pounds, and I even saw my abs again. I thought that was not possible. After winning the contest, and I did win, you could ask, uh, um, he's seen my picture up at the gym, if you want to see shirtless Pastor Bob, you go over there, but, um, uh, yeah, anyway, but at least it's got abs, so I'm happy about that, I'm not taking off my shirt today, um, but after I won the contest, I celebrated with donuts. Coca-Cola, some McDonald's, and chocolate chip cookies. And guess what? I can't see my abs anymore. Is that surprising? In order to achieve my ideal weight, I needed to go to the gym, I needed to exercise outside of the gym, and I needed to avoid certain things that were working against my fitness goals. Sugar. I had to be disciplined and intentional about how I lived and, and that's, how, that's how it is in every aspect of life. So it's no different when it comes to being, to being filled with the spirit, to refilling your spiritual tank. I, I wish it was the case that you could just have one great moment with God, one great Bible study, one great worship experience and then you're just done for the rest of your life and you could just relax and do whatever is easy and comfortable for you. I wish I could work hard for just six weeks and chisel my body back down to the way I wanted and then go back to eating whatever I wanted to do and not putting any effort. I wish that was the case. It's not. That's not how things work in life. So it's by God's design that we must return to Him over and over again so He can fill our tanks with His Spirit. So what do you do? You intentionally position yourself in places where you may experience god and respond to his action that's why it's essential for you and i to spend time reading the word of god i mean the bible is god's heart written down for us so that we can know him and search him and and he speaks to us afresh from his unchanging word it's essential for us to spend time in prayer where we not only talk to God about what's going on in our lives and our, our wants and our desires, but we also spend time listening. What does God want? It's essential that we worship God. I mean, the practice of taking one hour out of the week and devoting it to God is incredibly um, valuable. I mean, it seems like such a small thing, like such an easy thing to just bypass. But, but, but listen, listen, we spend every hour of the week focused on what we want to do, our jobs, our goals, our needs. And, but it makes us incredibly self-centered. So when you take one hour, one hour of the week, and you say, okay, God, this is not going to be about me. This is not going to be about what I need to get done This is not about my schedule. This is not about my preferences. This is not about my likes or dislikes. This is about you, God, and I'm coming to worship you and say you belong in the center of my life, not me, and I'm giving you this one hour to to do this. I'm not the one talking. I'm not the one picking things out. I'm just showing up and giving you that one hour. That That one little act right there, it resets you. Because everybody else in this world is absolutely consumed with self. It's all about me, all about what I want, and self-centeredness is ruining us collectively. That one hour resets you. And you say, God, it's not about me, it's about you. And you do that on a regular basis. Transforming. I've... uh, And let me emphasize, when you come to worship God, really seek to do it on His terms. I've I've had so many men throughout the years try to tell me, they say, I worship God, but I just do it in my way. On the boat, fishing. In the deer blind, hunting. In my bed, resting. That sounds good but it's still all about you. Rather than you worshiping God on His terms, you're saying, God, if I'm going to give you a thought today, it's got to be on my terms. It's just not the same. It's not the same. That's not worship. That's doing what you want to do and forcing God to meet you on your terms. When you worship God, alongside his people, the way he asks us to, then not only does it bring a healthy reset to your life, but oftentimes God will fill your spiritual tank in that moment. So we spend time in his word. We spend time in prayer. We, we put ourselves at church. Now, now spend some time serving others. You'll be amazed how God will fill you with his spirit when you devote yourself to doing good for somebody else. Serving. Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. He led the way. What's your part? How do you obey this command? You cannot fill yourself up, but what you can do is intentionally position yourselves in places where God can do the filling. You come seeking. And that's what God wants from us anyway. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. God made it so simple. I'm so glad that coming to God is not like going to the gym. I mean, I wish my gym was more like, was more like God where I could just show up and sit back and the work gets done to me and I don't end up tired and sweaty. That sounds wonderful. But God made it where it's like, since you can't feel yourself, he's like, you come, you show up. I'm going to do the work. And then as a result, you'd be like, thank you, Father. You give him the praise, the honor, and the glory. You come seeking him. He does the work. You just put yourself in position for it. When I'm driving my car, I've got several radio stations already pre-programmed into the radio, so I can quickly get to them. One of my favorite stations to listen to is classic rock. I love a good guitar. I like, uh, with some energy behind it, some blues licks. I like some Stevie Ray Vaughan and uh, some of the, the, the Leonard Skinner, but not the Sweet Home Alabama stuff. I mean, that's, that's good, but it's like I like the other stuff too. Um, I like that. But but I can sense it. There's just times where it's like, you know what? My spiritual tank's a little empty. I don't I don't I don't need good guitar work. I need I need the spirit of God in me. So I've got programmed over there. I'm going to flip over to the Christian station, listen to a song that reminds me of God's greatness. That that in God's grace, I've got everything I need. That 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 He is a God that that comes for me to to rescue, that that He uses those of us who are downtrodden and beat up, that He restores, that uh, that, that He replenishes, that He'll even resurrect, just to be reminded of that. And in that, I position myself to be filled with the Spirit again. Sometimes, I'll just turn the radio completely off and just spend time in quiet conversation with God. In doing so, I position myself for God to fill me up. And and finally, y'all remember my confession about sugar working against my fitness goals? I know that I can go to the gym and work my body to exhaustion, but if I keep eating all that sugar, nothing changes. It is entirely possible that you can come to church, read the Bible, listen to Christian music, pray, and still feel empty. It's possible. If God's not filling you up when you come to him, it's entirely possible that there are things in your life that are blocking his work in you. You see, it's not enough just to love God. We also have to learn to hate sin. It's not enough for me to exercise. I also have to have a healthy diet. But the same is true in what you put in the rest of your life. I was talking to my son about music. I was, again, go back to a gym story. Um, One of my trainers put on some music in the gym, and it was full of vulgarities. And I was just like, can we put some different music on? And this young man did not understand why that mattered. And I said, well... What kind of water do you drink? Do you just go out to the pond and scoop up some water and drink it? No. So you're kind of a fitness guy. Do you drink water right out of the tap? He says, absolutely not. So you drink filtered water, right? Yeah, that's healthy. That's smart. That's all I'm wanting to do, too. I just want to filter the things that come in, in my mind. I don't want that vulgar stuff in there. It's just a filter. You might have stuff in your life that is preventing the spirit from really doing a good work because you're trying to love God and love sin. And that's why confession and repentance are so important to having a vibrant spiritual life. You cannot love God and love sin at the same time. It's kind of like me working out and eating donuts. They just work against one another. D.L. Moody. He says it. He was so good with what he says. He says, if we are full of pride and conceit and ambition and self-seeking and pleasure and the world, there's no room for the Spirit of God. And I believe many a man is praying to God to fill him when he's already full of something else. What are we full of? The word says, do not get drunk with wine. That's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Guys, and it's simple. Our good and giving Father made it pretty easy. All you have to do is be intentional. Put yourself in places. Put yourself in the things that remind you of God. God. And he'll do the work of filling you. And when you're when when full of the Spirit, the Spirit now has the fuel, and he'll start doing things in your life. He'll start changing things. He'll do that transforming work that he was sent to do. The helper will accomplish God's will in your life. And we'll get into a little bit more about what that ends up looking like. But it's pretty fantastic and pretty electric. So where are you today? Have you been trying to do it yourself and you're frustrated because it's not working? God's Word says you can't do it yourself. God has to do it. Maybe you're one where it's like, you know, I'm just not seeing the work of God in my life. But when you really look at it, like, you haven't made yourself available. Busyness has got you... Completely consumed. And God's got no time. You're giving God no time to work in your life. Maybe. Maybe you're trying to exercise the things of God, but you're consuming the junk of this world. You need to put a filter on some things. What do you need to do? Maybe today is a day that you say, you know what, God, I've been trying to do it my way for so long. That's not working. Today I'm finally going to come and meet you on your terms. I'm going to do it your way. No more half. No more sort of. Just going to believe in your promises and come seeking after you. God, I want to know you. I want to feel your spirit in me. One of the things that I've been going through this, uh, this series, like looking for music that goes along with it, so much of today's music is always inviting the spirit of God to come into this room. And, and what God's putting on my heart and mind is to say, people, let's pray and invite the spirit of God to come into our hearts. And move here, get it way more personal than the room. Where are you today? Father God, I pray now that your spirit would touch our hearts personally, individually. God, I pray that if there be one here today who is yet to give their life over to you and be saved, that you would speak to them strongly right now, awaken them to their need, uh, help them become aware that that religion doesn't fix their their relationship with you, and that they can't do it themselves. But you have made a way. Your Son Jesus is the way. Speak to them strongly now. Others of us, Father, we just we live in this culture that is so individualistic and, and, if, and if, if you want something done you have to do it yourself and so we, we're trying to apply that to our relationship with you and that doesn't work God come and from within our hearts fill us with, with who you are that today we might live for you and then tomorrow God, come and fill us afresh that we might tomorrow live for You and that You would change us, that You'd make us better fathers, mothers, neighbors, coworkers, be better aunts and uncles, grandparents. God, You transform us and we're better for it. And we want it. So Father, whatever you need to do, have your way in us. And start with me. Pray these things in the name of your Son Jesus. Amen.